Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, my guest is Jacqueline Samira, who is the founder and CEO of Howdy.com. Recently, they were valued at over $100 million. Jacqueline, that's super cool. How are you today? I am great. I'm great. How are you, Anthony? Fantastic. I'm excited to chat with you on a fully caffeinated Friday afternoon or morning, depending on where you are. And I'm just excited to uh, hear about the story of Howdy. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what got you here, and then we'll dig into uh, some questions. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for the nice introduction. Yes, I am Jacqueline Smira, founder and CEO of Howdy.com. I started my company, gosh, the fall of 2018, but we didn't really get going until I would say the fall of 2019. I started the company. I've been in Austin, Texas, which is where I am located for 12 years now. And uh, really, it was just out of need, out of need, being a part of high growth startups, trying to grow like at all costs and uh, trying to find good team members to do it while doing it. And so there was a huge need as more and more capital and companies were coming to Texas to um, help source talent. And that was where the idea came from for howdy.com. Great. And that's, I mean, that's fast growth. And, you know, if you're like YC and uh, everybody's trying to grow fast, you know, five years happens slow looking forward and fast looking backwards. What is the kind of summation of the past five years for you? Yes, that's a really, really great way of describing it. it. It seems like it's forever. And then when you look backwards, it seems like I just started. Yeah. So man, looking back over these last five years, I would say the first couple of years actually did feel very long. And the last three years felt like they went by super fast. And I would attribute that to the first couple of years, I was really intentional about not trying to go super quickly. And I've been a part of fast growth startups for you know over a decade now. And there is this idea out there that like, you know, you got to grow at whatever cost, you know, glue, duct tape it together, figure it out later, grow, 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 revenue, revenue, customers, users, you know. And I said to myself, you know what? Like that's where everything breaks. And then you get to a point where you can't grow anymore because then you have this like big strategic decision. Do we rebuild everything from the ground up or do we just keep going? And so what I really wanted to do with this company was really nail it before we scaled it. And so we spent the first two years being very intentional, very slow, actually not even accepting additional customers. And then when we felt we were ready to take on the growth, that's when we we opened the door and everything kind of fell into line after that. Right. That's awesome. Do you think that being a little bit exclusive helped you with that, like that growth piece? You think, you would definitely think I didn't know enough people to have them know that I was even doing what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I had a, you know, I had a network, but it was small enough still that it wasn't like everyone was like clamoring to work with me. No, I think what actually ended up working really well was we're in a people business. We're part of what we do. Yes, is part of our product, but part of it is definitely services based. And and, um, we have seven offices in South America. And doing business in the United States is hard. 
Now try doing it in a country that you don't know about their tax laws or about their legal compliance or about any of that stuff in a foreign language that you don't speak. So I was also just really nervous to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to make sure that we were doing everything right. And as a byproduct of that, when we said, okay, we felt we're ready to bring on more customers, the delivery that we had with everything, it's, you know, we seemed like seasoned professionals. And so people just had such a great experience that they ended up telling their friends about it. Then their friends had a great experience, told their friends about it. So we did get true word of mouth referral network effects, you know, that everyone aspires to have. That's awesome. Uh, How did your experience in sales as the head of sales, sales trainer, all of those things like impact how you built it? And, And I ask because on one hand, they say revenue solves all problems. On the other hand, most problems in organizations are created because sales sell more than delivery can deliver. And I imagine that in the organizations you've worked with, you've been on both sides of that equation. How did that impact the lens that you view a CEO role now? Yes. Great question for so many reasons. I was fortunate enough that my sales experience was not only on the front end where you know, grow new business at all costs. It was also on the back end with account management and basically also (laughs) sitting with what you sold. So like you can't sell an airplane, right? And then deliver a bus and then be the same face there that like promised an airplane and gave a bus. And so I learned early on in my career. And I think this is a good experience for all salespeople, all sales leadership that like whatever you're selling in the beginning truly, I don't care how high price of a ticket it is, they, the person selling it also needs to be the person that account manages it so that they understand that they can't oversell. They can't, you know, because so much of what we're doing is selling future features, right? So it's better to under, under promise and then over deliver. So how much of my experience from my past sales impacted my decisions as a CEO? It, it it was everything. And I and I really attribute the fact that I had that account management having to be on the receiving side of what I said on the front end really did impact that. But the other thing that impacted a lot of the business decisions we made early on was so often I think that CEOs will accept things that they shouldn't accept. And what I mean by that is they will reduce their price or they'll you know add more offerings or they're promised to make something or they'll promise to do something because this customer that's going to be a flagship customer says they want that and an inexperienced salesperson will sell that a experienced salesperson will say no we're not going to do that we're not doing that today we're not doing that tomorrow in fact that's not even on our product roadmap because that's not even our vision mm-hmm. and so early on a lot of my seasoned experience allowed me to tell people no without being afraid of losing the business. And so I had this like very clear vision for what I wanted. And that was what we delivered on. And there was a few just non-negotiables. And I told them, you know, straight up, this is what we do. This is what we don't. If you're not willing to do this, that's okay. It doesn't work for us. And one of those like non-negotiables is like our business is we connect very talented individuals with great companies here in the United States. And one of the negotiables is like, these aren't second-class citizens or second-class contractors. You need to treat them like full-time team members. And if that is how you like view the... And that's okay. It's totally okay. There's Upwork. There's you know this huge freelance revolution where people just want to come in, do a thing, and leave. 
I totally get that, but that's not what our business was. And there were plenty of times people wanted to come on and do project-based work and they were offering tons of money, but we were very, very steady with what it was that we were and what it was that we weren't. So it allowed us to be really good at that one thing. So rejecting money, I think for early CEOs is very, very hard. And it was very easy for me because I've done it for, for many years because we had to be there on the delivery side as well. And then the other thing is I think I made the access to enter I tried to reduce the barriers on our contracts or on our MSAs. So I know that a lot of other, like my CEO peers will have this like very, very just like draconian type of contract. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, like you're a small business. Like, like why do you make For it people so- that were buying from you or, or people yeah, that so, were going to work with you? No, people that were going to buy from them, right? Like they, they go and they partner with a law firm to create their first MSA or they create their first contract and you read it. And it's just like immediately your customers are going to want to redline everything because they're doing it as a protection mechanisms. And of course, like lawyers want to protect you, but a lot of times like in the early days, you don't need something so rigid. And so we tried to make our early contracts to be very easy in, very easy out, high compliance against, you know, certain things. But outside of that, if I didn't do any long-term contracts. We didn't have any 12-month agreements, six-month agreements. It was, if you wanted to cancel, cancel right then and there. And so it allowed people to take a chance on a company that was unknown. Hey, Anthony here. One of the things I don't talk too much about on the podcast is what we do at SME Strategy. So I wanted to let you know that if you and your team are thinking about getting together you know, this winter or even in the new year for strategic planning, that we'd be happy to have a conversation to see how we might be able to help your team walk through the strategic planning process and make sure that your people, your strategy, your culture are on the same page. One of the most exciting parts about the work that we do is being able to lead people through a proven process to help them get to where they want to go. If you're interested about that process, our video about it on YouTube just hit over a million views. So be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think. Uh, But most importantly, I wanted to let you know that if you are looking for somebody to partner with your team to support everybody in getting aligned, moving forward towards a clear set of goals and objectives, and really making sure that you have the foundations for that next stage of growth, that we can partner with you to do that whether that's through an offsite strategic planning session or you know follow-up support services to keep you accountable, to help your team grow and develop, or really to lead a full transformation. So if you're interested, check out smestrategy.net. You can check out our about page, our services page. It'll tell you more about how we do things. And I'd be happy to have a conversation with you to see if we're a good fit to help. Thanks so much. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. And now let's get back into the episode. Yeah, I think, well, there was so much stuff in that. So one, you know, obviously, the if you're going to deliver what you sell, you're going to be more likely to sell it properly. Going back to the, the master service agreement is, you know, it all comes down to the people that are on the leadership team and their kind of acceptance of risk and how they structure risk. So for you, you said, well, there's relatively little risk to us, save these kind of things and let's transfer that risk balance to our customer so that it makes it easier for people to buy. I think that was really smart. But one of the things that really struck me for you is you said, hey, I have to sell it. I have to deliver it. It works that way, but also because you had the strategic vision. And what a lot of people don't want to do is choose. 
what was handy, valuable, and we say it in strategic planning, like you have to say yes to stuff and you have to say no to stuff so you can say yes. But I bet based on how you communicate that you were able to then share that vision. So it wasn't just, no, we're not selling that. No, we're not doing that. Yes, we're doing that arbitrarily, but you were able to kind of systemically embed that. So people knew how to make the right decisions to sell the right things so that Howdy could be successful. Was that fair to say? It's totally fair to say. It's totally fair to say. And I think that is, I mean, it's exactly right. I was, I think, you know, where a lot of young entrepreneurs make mistakes is they don't go and work for people. I think the biggest life lessons I've ever had was actually working for people that I said, I this is wrong. This is the way you don't do it. Here are all the things you don't do. You don't change the vision on the fly. You don't like have an unsure vision. Like be people want to follow. People want to be a part of something. And if you are unclear what that thing is, then the then what people start to do is they start to invent it for themselves. But For me, that was very much, I was like, I have a belief that this is what is missing in this world. And this is the way I want to go about creating it. And here's where I feel like it's wrong. And so you're totally right. Like with these early customers, when they would come to me and say, I want these things, I'd say, we're not going to do that. This is what we can do, but here's why. This is the vision for the company. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is why we're trying to achieve it. Because it's really important for you to get top talent that they feel like they are a core member of your team, that they feel like they are instrumental to this growth of your product. Because that's not only going to help you today, it's going to help you tomorrow because they're going to want to stick around and they're going to want to be retained. They're not just coming in to build this thing and and leaving. It's, It's changing the dynamic of the way that this relationship works. Absolutely. So how did you as a CEO, and if we can get maybe some grassroots practical things, how did you imbue the vision alignment understanding? And I also assert you probably were able to scale some version of consultative selling so that you can more quickly and effectively have the way you want to sell and the way you want your customers to buy. So what did you do to make that stick and stick fast? With my internal team, with with the customers, <laughs> what part? <laughs> any ship it, any of them. Uh, let's start with the internal team first. You know, it's still to this day that ends up being it. It is it is constantly a work in progress. Progress. I think training people on what you are is equally, like you said earlier, as important to train people on what you're not. So one of the first things we do is, yes, we talk about Howdy, but we also talk about all of the other options that are out there. And so I was a big proponent of really defining who our ideal customer or ideal buyer persona was, and then having all of the different ideal buyer personas out there. And when you look at those buyer personas, they've Mm -hmm. either worked with a company similar to ours or they've worked with an outsourced development shop, or they've worked with a staffing agency, or they've you know tried to do it themselves, or they've never done it. So there's like there's there's a finite number of ways that people have done the solution to what it is that Howdy is is providing. So really educating people on all of the differences first off, so that they understand the competitive landscape when they're talking to people. And then for me, it's just constantly training people on how to do consultative selling. It's nothing really about howdy. It's, hey, know our business inside and out, know our competitors inside and out. And then the most important thing you can do when you get on a call with anyone is just to dig deep and find out exactly 
where they're at, how they're thinking, what they're thinking, because we might not be a solution for them. And that's totally okay. So I think in addition to everything I just shared, giving them permission to not make the sale. I think so often sales leaders are like, we've got to have 50% conversion or we've got to have X percent conversion. We've got to have this rate, this rate, this rate based on this number of conversations. And I've been a part of those organizations. And sometimes people just aren't good customers, but I could sell them and I would do it and I would feel bad about that. And I wanted to give people permission to say, look, you should be proud of what it is that you're doing and you should be really encouraging of people using our solution. But if not, like if they're not a good, do not feel any kind of pressure to have to close every single person you talk to. In fact, I would rather only hyper-focus on the people that would be good customers. And that like, that ends up having like really meaningful conversations with the people that are interacting with your prospects and your customers. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for folks listening at home, strategic planning, good to do. SME strategy does strategic planning. If you're looking for some tools, what I heard some uh, Jacqueline say, a perceptual map. And what I really liked about it, not only did you the perceptual map of your competitors, but you did kind of a perceptual map of your customers in terms of what are their needs, motivators, drivers. You can use something like the value proposition canvas, good tool, business model canvas, a good tool. And what I also heard as an undertone and as part of your sales motto, methodology, approach, I, I akin to lifestyle, as in you want that transformation. So for example, I don't know, if you were selling a, a whole new set of hair, that that person's life would be totally changed. And you're not just selling the hair, you're selling a whole new lifestyle. And you want, if you're going to build a company that you had the vision for, you need to make sure that it has a really good reputation. And it sounds like part of how you were selling was making sure that that brand promise was maintained, that you weren't like a shifty fly-by-night type, you know, low-cost recruiting, whatever uh, thing. And then that in turn has paid off because you've gotten referrals, you've built a great brand, you've grown super quickly. And and I assert also getting like really good repute in, uh, in Austin and around. Yeah. Th- yes. Very... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you nailed <laughs> <Cool>. it. <laughs> and, and giving permission to like, I would say the one thing too, that I think is just like so important is giving permission to not sell, which like, I don't hear enough. Mm. Great. Well, let's say it again. Give your team permission to not sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, as we kind of wind down, what is next for the company? Like without giving away any secret sauce, obviously, you know, crazy growth up to a hundred million. Uh, obviously there's something that you're moving forward to looking forward to the market space is especially competitive and so many more alternatives. What are you looking forward to both as a company, but what are you looking forward to as a CEO as well, either in your professional or personal growth learning journey, et cetera? Yeah. So there's a couple things that are happening that I'm really, really excited about. So we offer one thing, right? And it's a very, very white glove service that we we do. And we've always asked ourselves, okay, can we want to expand this into other into other industries, other verticals? And so that's definitely something that's on the horizon, which is just to be a howdy for anybody that wants to work remotely or can work remotely in any position for any company. So like our core very beginning offering was we help U.S. tech companies hire and manage 
top tier software developers in LATAM. And now it's not, doesn't have to be just for tech companies. It can be for all companies and it doesn't have to be just for software developers. It can be for all roles. So we're very, very excited. That's something that we started in beta at the beginning of this year. And we're now slowly going to be rolling that out. And then also our price point is probably more expensive than what people would like think of when they think of outsourcing or staff aug. And I mean, we're still more affordable, but we're not like, when you think about it, going to be like a huge cost savings. And so we had thought of a way, like, can we create like a howdy light version or more of like a do it yourself, creating this like platform based play where there are candidates and there's, there's job seekers. And there's of course the folks with the jobs and can we connect them in a more meaningful way? And so that is something that is on the horizon as well in the next couple of months for folks that need more of that lower price point and are willing to do do more of it themselves. So we're going to go <laughs> down market a little bit. We're going to go across into different verticals and um, just expand how and who we can help. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, I hope that goes great. I'm sure it will. Any last words of wisdom that you want to share with uh, the leaders out there other than don't sell to people all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think in the same vein, a reputation I've gotten, which I didn't even know, but it, but it's something that I'm pretty proud of, is it's okay to fail. Like with Jacqueline, like with Jacqueline, it's okay to make mistakes. She's totally forgivable with mistakes. So try, do, like create, have fun, go out with these crazy ideas, but it's never okay to make the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. And so I've always encouraged this idea of failure and I, because I think that that's when like the coolest things, like when you're on the brink of something that's genius that no one's thought of is also very close to being like the most like horrific, horrible idea too. And so there's that fine line and you're going to miss out on so many people's great ideas if you have this culture of CYA. And for me, it was very important that people knew that they could fail and they're not going to get in trouble for it. They're not going to get written up for it, that there's not going to be any kind of blame or finger pointing. And that fact, and like, I would, I would say I I'm responsible. I'm responsible. You know, if, if that is your failure, but if they do make a mistake and they make the same mistake twice, that is when I do get upset. And so now it's great because people have the space and the freedom to create and, and come up with wonderful wild ideas. But then also they know if it is a mistake, they just can't do it again. And it's allowed us to come up with some pretty neat things. Sweet. That's awesome. Well, for those of you playing at home, culture of CYA is cover your ass. And Jacqueline was being polite, didn't want to swear, but you can swear on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Okay, it's, fantastic. As I long as it. it's not at somebody and it's the truest form of the language that you wanted to communicate. <laughs> uh, Jacqueline, where can people learn more about Howdy? It's howdy.com. Uh, where can they learn more about you, the work you're doing, and where can they connect personally? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn at Jacqueline Samira or on social at Howdy Jacqueline. All right. Awesome. That is a great Howdy Jacqueline. I love that. Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for being here today. It was a personal and professional pleasure, and I wish you nothing but the best uh, moving forward. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Folks, my guest today, Jacqueline Samira, who is the founder and CEO of Howdy.com. Um, one of the things I'm taking away from this is, you know, scaling sales and recognizing it within the entire organization. If you're going to grow, you're going to grow quickly. And most importantly, you're going to grow successfully. You have to target the right customers and say no to the wrong ones. So it, putting in some strategic guardrails in place to help everybody be successful is critical. And uh, if you do it well, well, then you can make some real magic happen. So thanks. 
Thanks for being here today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed yet, push the button or whatever kids do these days. Thanks for being here. My name is Anthony. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.